Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Inevitable Mike, the host of the Comics and Pop Darts podcast channel, the only podcast channel you don't have to eat for breakfast, but the podcast channel that you can listen to for breakfast. Before we get started tonight, I have an awesome ad. I'd like to Stanley the Snowman oh, man. is enjoyed by young and old and something the whole family can read together. Stanley is a magical snowman who embodies the holiday spirit created by Austin Janowski with art by Juan Pablo Montenegro, Marshall, colors by Fabria Ferdinand, and letters by Nikki Powers. And don't take it from me, take it from our guest, Mr. Austin Janowski. How are you doing, sir? Doing well, sir. Thanks for having me. Oh, Happy no problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an awesome Saturday. Uh, it's weather is a crappy outside here on the on the southern coast of Mississippi. I'm not sure where you're located at, but I hope weather is fair over there. Oh, uh, we're in Tampa, Florida, so it's always warm. Oh, of course, of course, the <laughs> retirement capital of the world. That's right. <laughs> so let's let's dive right into it, man. Uh, before we get before we get uh we get caught up in uh the Stanley Stanley's adventure to I guess I guess in the story it'd be Florida. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's all the East Coast from Maine to Florida. What an adventure. That's going to be exciting, man. I don't think Frosty the Snowman ever traveled that far, really. No, he just wandered around the neighborhood. <laughs> so your snowman goes places. That's 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 one leg up in the in the in the in the, in the butt kicking contest for snowman stories. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's get started on your journey into comics, man. And I know you're not, I know you're not rooted in comics. You, you have a long lengthy history and, and diverse skill set. Uh, how did you come up in the industry? How did, how did, how did you, what brought you to where you are now? So, uh, the 10 second story I tell people is, um, <laughs> I loved comic books since I was 14 years old and I collected my first book I read was X-Men 205. It was my cousin's and. He had a bunch of X-Men that we read, and we were visiting Florida from New York. And after I was done reading them, I was very excited, and I wanted more. And he didn't have any. He goes, well, we could just go to the comic book store and get some. And I didn't realize, what, there's a comic book store? It's like this magical place for me, and that's kind of where I got got my creativity and got my imagination really kind of going. Um, never thinking I could get into comic books, but... Living in New York, in Utica, Syracuse area, there's a lot of really great comic book artists coming from New York on up. And I was a big Bart Sears fan, and he was working on Justice League Europe, and he was at a show that I was going to be going to. Now, I have a friend of mine, Tom Chapman, extremely talented artist, a lot better than I was. He was going to be the penciler, and I wanted to be the inker because back then inking was the final step in making a comic book. Colors were really a thing. Right. So... I waited in line because I wanted a Power Girl sketch because I'm 24 and I like boobs. And he gave me a head sketch with no boobs. And I gave him a little attitude on that. He gave me attitude about being a comic book artist. And he looked at my samples and he showed it to Tom Lyle and Tom Vincent and lots of different people. And I got an encouragement to give it a shot. So that's what I did. I, uh, I told mom and dad and everyone I was going to be doing that. Mom wanted me to have a backup plan. So my backup plan while breaking in was graphics. So while doing comic books for 28 years, I was lucky to work like with Bob Layton and Iron Man at the end, helping Jay Leeson on X-Men Unlimited and Tomb Raider, and then inking stuff for IDW, uh, Devil's Due, Dynamite, a bunch of others, all the while making my own books. Um, my backup plan was graphics, newspapers, then 
Walt Disney World and Universal and then Warner Brothers and then NASCAR. And then I was an art director and a creative director and I retired. And six years ago, I did that and then I got into film. So lots of different creative stuff. But yeah, comic books for 28 years, man, uh, since 1994. It's crazy. That is, that is an amazing like how <laughs> how often have you rehearsed that story, man? I felt like I just saw your life flash before your for my oh, eyes. I've been able to to uh, to maximize and get the a short amount of time, and uh, yeah, it's um I didn't really think about it. It was funny. At twenty five years, my wife and I sat down and really thought back, and to me, I really haven't accomplished a lot because I'm always trying to do stuff. But if I look back, I'm like, yeah, I've kind of done some some cool stuff and work for some really cool companies and really cool people. So I'm very thankful for that. As an, as an artist, it's uh it's, it's one of those crazy stories that you hear not too often, but uh, one of those stories that, that brings about, you know, humble beginnings. And then looking back and introspecting on where you are now that not many people are fortunate to get to where you have been. Um, a lot of people vying for those jobs, especially, especially today in woke society where, you know, mm -hmm. things are things are changing. Voices are being heard that's never been heard before. Art is being presented in ways it's never been presented before. Um, regardless of opinions on whether you think that it increases the 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 the, the opeg of of comics or it decreases the opeg of comics, is is really individually uh, selective for a lot of people. But um, that is an incredible ten minute. 10 second story. <laughs> I, I honestly had no idea. I don't even think you, you said that on the comic Rottery show. So <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of did. I kind of didn't. I, I, I'm trying to be much better with the, uh, the, the stream yard and, and the video sort of thing. I, yeah. you know, I can talk without having my face in front of people. I'm much, that's much better for me. <laughs> so myself. Process. So, so as I'm unpacking like tools and I'm, I'm getting the, the podcast ready to go like live audio, like I'm not quite at the studio level yet. That's kind of the goal. But uh, I think it's really cool since I started off on an audio base, which is more ra radio uh, interviews instead of like audio video uh, for multitude of different reasons. I find it very advantageous, especially for a lot of the guests like yourself who prefer an option, you know, kind of like how we, you know, you, we rescheduled the time and it's really flexible. That's kind of what I want, you know, my podcast to be like, oh, like I want to be on that podcast because, you know, he made me feel comfortable about not being late yeah. and, and being flexible around your your creative schedule. And even though you've retired, you you haven't really retired. You just you're dipping your toes in like the like you said film which is which is a crazy avenue to embark upon i'm sure I've, especially on the acting side i think i saw a few screenshots of you on a set yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's it's <laughs> it's it's really exciting to to see that transformation but you know like you said a lot of people have you know aren't aren't really like podcasts blew up out of the water especially during like the the time of covid when it came out and everything got shut down yeah. so um there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of podcasts out there like over 800,000 um and even less who do guests there's there's like the need to fill this void for people to to get like a standard practice of procedures for like you know I got be saying and what not to yeah. do what to do and then you got to set up your own space if you want to do video and just audio just doesn't 
it's less of a hassle for people because I mean, you don't have to throw any clothes on. There's no presentation. Um, to yeah. be completely honest, there is no real rhetoric. I mean, I keep my shows between 30 minutes to an hour. So, um, okay. that's, that's, that's for the ADD, uh, generation that's out there. No offense. And that's for, you know, my generation and, and older who like the more, you know, um, uh, connected podcast where you know they actually bring up topics and talk about serious things and if you don't want to stop it you know if you want to stop listening at 30 minutes man that's that's okay because yeah. that's, that's my goal so I'm, I'm glad this will this works out better for you i really am yeah i appreciate that very much oh no problem man so um 20 28 years you said in in, in comics yeah i so it's it's funny um back in the 90s really computers were just kind of starting um, a lot of magazines, this is really just when Wizard was just coming out, but Comic Buyer's Guide was like the go-to place for getting your stories. And in the back, they had help wanted ads from like selling and buying comic books to finding artists, you know, shows, that sort of thing. And uh, lo and behold, a local comic book company where I lived was looking for an inker. So I met with them and I chatted with them and I was supposed to ink a book, a superhero book called uh, Cosmic Force. Phil Green was supposed to pencil it. I don't whatever happened to him, but the book flaked out. He never did any pencils. But in the meantime, um, I was working at Radio Shack and a buddy of mine, Mike, and I worked together and we were both huge D&D fans and we did D&D and we came up with a really interesting story based on our D&D characters called Seventh Millennium and... We went through Diamond and Capital back then. There's not Capital uh, Distribution now, but Capital. And we had enough words to get it printed and make a profit. So right off the bat. Wow. So, so from there, I focused a lot on inking and really become an inker. And I, you know, I did suffer for razor the never saw the light day. I did um, Vampirotica. I did a, a few of those really more soft Cornish sort of books, but then I've got three daughters. They're they're really young then, and I couldn't show them what I'm working on. I'm like, well, this, you know, I don't want to do this if I can't show my kids. <laughs> Became a moral debauchery. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just this whole thing. So then I kind of shift gears, and luckily I was able to work on more superhero things and down the road and work for different companies. Um, but I didn't work full time. I mean, what, when I was trying to work full time in comic books. Uh, I'm married twice. I had my first wife and my second wife. I can say honestly that my first wife hated comic books. Like to the point where we were at a DC function and it was me, her, it was Marv Wolfman and I, uh, Fletcher, um, shoot, I forget Fletcher's last name, but he was in charge of all the convention getting DC with conventions. Sanford Green was there and Marv asked my, my wife then what she thought about comic books. And she straight up said she hated them. She thought they were stupid. <laughs> so I didn't have a good support from her. She liked the money when I got really good gigs, yeah. but there wasn't that support. So my need to try to make it hindered me some. I was very needy. I was very pushy. I didn't have, didn't have the ability to do things that I should have done. And because of that, I missed out on opportunities. I was lucky to do and work with the people and companies I've worked with. Um, 
but I didn't take full advantage of my time and my possibility of it, unfortunately. So when I decided to retire from, from graphics and be done after 20 years and kind of do my own thing, I was going to teach, but I had a friend of mine making a film and needed a ghoul. I said, cool. And hey, I had another buddy of mine making a film what needed a bodyguard. Yeah, I'll, whatever. So the more I kind of did it, as these, you know, background sort of things, I'm like, man, this is amazing. This is what I've always really wanted. I did comic books or got into comic books because there's, you know, never, never considered me possibly being in the world of filmmaking and whatnot. I go, I've got great stories I want to tell. This is the most unique story form and close to film that I can get at the time. Right. I need to do. So when I decide to go and act whatever we my wife and i talked about it she's a huge supporter she loves my comic book she loves what i'm trying to do she likes them being creative it helps that she works for an amazing company sap the big global software company so financially we're in a better spot for me to do so but we gave it three years for me to give it a shot and give it a try you know what i mean right and what i'm doing with film is i'm enjoying the process and ride the highs and lows. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you didn't get to do that the first time around. No, no. And, and, and part of that's my fault. Right. You know, the things that I did in comic books, and, and I've made big mistakes. Trust me, I have. And I haven't done the right thing. And I've tried to learn and apologize and teach those that are coming in not to do the same things I've done. And I think I've made amends, and, and I'm at a much better spot as a creator and as a person because of it. Um, but yeah, I just, it was all about, I have to, I have to, I have to validate why I'm doing all this to prove to my ex-wife, my wife, all that, you know what I mean? Right. So, well, to make it worth your wife's time and to prove that your ex-wife was never right about her lack of support. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I get that, man. That's, that's really important. If you don't have that, strong foundation of support from anyone not even just you know a lover but like a family member or a friend yeah. just keep you on your feet yep. um validation can become a really big crutch yeah that you that you need and, and lust after and because of that you don't get to enjoy the process like sometimes you know i gripe and complain about all the work that goes into the podcast but if i'm really being honest this is one of the greatest ways I've been able to connect with people because um, I don't I don't get out of the house very much. I'm very local because, you know, I don't have custody of my kids. So that grounds me and, right. and I don't have the heart to choose anything over them. So I don't I don't go off and, uh, and and search out these opportunities that are far away that I know if I was closer, I'd be able to I'd be able to to, to compete for. But, of course. you know, but I don't I don't take. I don't take that into consideration. I just, I grab, put my nose to the grinder and I, yeah. I find creative solutions to solve my problems. And podcasting has been one of the greatest uh, decisions I've ever made. Cause I, I don't think I would have ever met you at a, at a Comic-Con that, that, that came this far South. Um, Cause they don't usually come this far South. I have to go to Florida. <laughs> yeah, so man, it's, it's been a blessing. So I can relate to that a lot. And, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Because um, everybody needs that man. Cause in a mundane world filled with people who have aspirations, it's really hard to fall into those cracks with people who don't support you. And I, and you of all people just you know, from what you shared knows what it's like to get, to get pounded down. Uh, emotionally with all these like non-supportive cues and 
and statements. And I cannot believe she said that in front of Mark. Mark oh. Wolfman. <laughs> All stood there and was looking at her like she was joking. Like they're like, oh, I guess she might be just kind of joking. I knew she wasn't. I was mortified. I was but they kind of put out, oh, I guess he's just kind of joking. But yeah, it's that that ruined any possibility of me working at DC at that time. Oh man, I just I, as soon as you said that, I was like, man, the the the, the terror you must have felt when those words just left her mouth yeah. in front of some of the biggest biggest comic icons of DC. I just mm-hmm. man, that that is that's a loss. But you know, it's not a complete loss. It's it's one of those things where like. Um, You'll never let person. You never let people like like toxic like that into your life again. Because now that you have the right support system and 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 that you've you've got your head on straight, you're not looking for you're not needy with the validation. Right now, you're just looking to enjoy the process and and find your own creativity outside of a career that you've already had. So you're living your second best life, man. Yes, I am. That's, that's amazing to hear. And that 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 goes for everybody listening at home. I mean, it's never too late to enjoy life, the process. And it doesn't always have to be about, you know, getting in the industry or, or, or the career that you want to be. It's, 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 about, it's about growing like a person. Um, Cause I mean, that's, that's, that's my big takeaway from what you just, you know, shared with all of us is uh, you, you got to grow as a person. And the only way to do that is to live through it. Yeah. Yeah. Making mistakes is, is the best way to learn and grow. You don't, you never want to do what ifs. That's my thing with the whole with film and all that. I just didn't want to what if, right? Because I've been like for what ifing with that like over twenty some odd years. What if? What if? And when it came as an opportunity to give it a shot, I'm like, yeah. Um, with comic books, it's kind of funny. I I love inking. I can't physically do it to the standards to not standards for the timeline that Marvel and DC need now. I just, I can't crank 22 hours a day to get pages out, but I do enjoy it. But I found much more enjoyment writing, creating stories for comic books and working with other artists. The collaboration has been very, very fulfilling to me. And I'm enjoying that immensely. And is, is that one of the things that brought you, um, brought you to Stanley? Yeah. I mean, um, so Stanley was something that came about because, of my kids grousing about presents, you know, one has more than me, one has a bigger one than me. And I'm like, man, we had one present growing up and it was like, we had stockings. That was basically it. And we had our family traditions. Presence wasn't like the big thing. It's much more prevalent now. And can there be a balance between the two? And that's really how I thought of the idea and the story to begin with. And the snowman, just because no one's really done a snowman story. Now, you know, this was 10 years ago before Frozen and everything was just frosty. Right. And uh, I wanted to do something a little bit different. So that's how I fleshed it out. So I had the story idea. I found an artist. But ultimately, she was more into fine art, just starting. Other people were taking advantage of her. She thought I was taking advantage of her, which I wasn't. But it was just she just liked to paint. That was her thing. She wanted to paint. So I'm like, okay. So I just, it's one of the things where I just put it aside and then came back to it a fresh eyes four or so years later. My stepson loves anime, really got me into the different art styles because apparently there's like 40 different kinds, which I did not know. He didn't know that to me. Um, and I thought, man, this fits better with the type of story that I want to tell now. 
And I like uh, female-driven characters. All you know, like I have a uh, Angel series, Divine Retribution. Christine is the main character. Uh, my zombie series, Stacy is the toughest out of the three of uh, the main characters for that. You know, you've got Jenny Love, who's who's. It is Stanley the Snowman about Stanley, but Jenny's really the heart and soul. She's the driving force behind the whole story. Right. Stanley's just the person that we follow through the adventure. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's it. That's awesome, man. Um, Stanley is uh, is uh, marketed and and brought to you by Ink Solutions or Ink Studio. <laughs> God, Kevin's <laughs> gonna kill me. Ink <laughs> Studios and anybody who wants to uh, to get a copy of of Stanley, um, it's gonna come out through Scout uh, later on, maybe at the end of this year, maybe early next year, whenever the paper solution comes back. Yeah, that's uh, why we did the Kickstarter to give somebody give us right. you know an extra because so issue number one. Uh, well, let me back up. So Stanley, when we decided to do something with it, we have found the artist and everything. Did a Kickstarter yep. to kind of get the story out there. It was successful, which was great. Uh, so much so that I was able to send it to Scout. They loved it. It was part of their all age line. They wanted to put it apart. Uh, Scoot and that we picked it up. They did the first issue and the graphic novel was supposed to come out later on that year Which was last December paper shortages COVID really put it by the wayside and we had to put it on hold and I didn't want everyone to wait And wait and wait wait for more Stanley So that's why we did the Kickstarter for the next 24 or 28 pages of the story And that's and that's that's really thoughtful too because um, a lot of things can happen and this this the time lapse between the first product to any type of sequel or requel or any combination of, of the terminology can be a product killer. I mean, yeah. we've seen it in movie sequels. I mean, God, how long did we have to wait for Incredibles 2 from the first one? And it picked up right where it left off. I didn't agree with that decision, but it's no. not, it, was not, it wasn't my IP. But eight years for a sequel in between movies... Like people almost forgot about it. I mean, you're talking about like kids who enjoyed it when they were 14, and now they're adults and they're watching like they're watching Europa on HBO now. Like <laughs> yeah. it's 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 a tactful thing, um, especially for for not just for sales, but also you know you want your audience to keep like if the first product if the like the first issue ended on a note where it hinted where there's going to be more, they're going to want more. Mm-hmm. And if they like it so much, you don't want to keep them waiting. So what do you have to do? And Kickstarter is a great place. And yeah. everybody wants to go, you can check it out at ink.pub slash forward Stanley the Snowman. Um, awesome deals. Um, it's really not that expensive. Um, Austin has even given away signed scripts. So for those of you who want to be aspiring comic writers and want to know how it comes out from, you know, the babes, the, mou- the mouths of babes, it's a great opportunity to pick up that or or a signed a signed page with a with an accompanied script page as one of your tiers. Yep. Um, we don't exactly have video to show that, so you know I'll just trust everybody to go to ink.pub slash forward Stanley the Snowman. Um, brought to you by Ink Studios. We help creators like Austin here uh, market comics on uh, crowdfunding platforms, often been often been defined as crowdfunding Avengers. I'm one of the copy editor writers and uh podcast host and podcaster so um man um so the the deal through the deal through scout this is this is this is actually a personal question but i wanted to highlight it on the podcast yeah so 
you wrote and you pretty much 100% produced the first issue of Stanley through crowdfunding, right? Yeah. So it was, we did the, the, we were doing um, more than that, right? but I did the first 24. We had plotted for issue number two and issue number three, we we're ready to go. Right. But we wanted to get the first one out so we can, you know, find number two. Um, but we did the Kickstarter, we did it just in black and white. So wanted to do drop the cost of printing, but also, so if they want to do, we want to do something a little bit later on, we can do full color. So that was, that was kind of the, the plan. Um, but lo and behold, Scout picked it up and it was just, it's amazing that they did. So they're all age line. Scoot has such great all age titles. It's so neat. And, and I think that's really cool. In fact, I actually met, um, Oh man, I'm spacing it. David, I think it is, uh, at Comic-Con last year. Okay. One of the co-creators, um, I think it's David Byrne. David Byrne. Yeah. Yeah. Steak. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's publishers. Yeah. I, I met him and, uh, Travis last year and we were talking about it. He actually graduated from full cell, the, the college that I graduated from with, uh, yeah. with, uh, business entertainment. So I was picking his brain, and now I'm going to pick your brain. Um, did Scout pick that up? Like, did they reach out to you, or is that something that you produced the first issue and you went to them with a pitch? So I originally pitched my Angel series to them, and they didn't They didn't like the fact that it was a little bit more faith-based for what they wanted to do. Okay. And I said, well, you know, I've got my all-age comic book. And they goes, oh, really? Well, let's get let's touch base on that in like six months so in the meantime i'm like okay well we'll do the kickstarter and once it was done james pruitt was the publisher there and james and i have known each other for years so i just sent the copy to him and they loved it and they it fit what they wanted to do and they wanted to sign it okay that's that sounds all relatively easy <laughs> yeah it was just it was just a piece of cake just like that yeah, just like that. It has nothing to do with you had friends in high places, which is always, always a helpful lot. But for, for listening audience at home, I always try to give them a little slice from the creators that come on. And uh, is to kind of, if you would be so kind, as to like kind of walk us through like a pitch process, like for your angel series that they didn't buy into because it was too religious. What was the process in coming up with a pitch? Is this something that you, you wrote down and you printed out uh, for presentation? Or was this like... Yeah. There, so, so I do a lot of so's when I'm doing interviews. I've found that out. So I'm trying not to do so many so's. So we'll do a so for this one. Uh, there's different ways you can do it. I would suggest you do what's called a one sheet. And a one sheet is basically what it is. It's a one sheet where you have a log line. A log line is one or two sentences. That's a basic overview of what the series is about, you know. Sailing the Snow Man is just magical creatures brought to life every holiday season, spend Christmas with the family, but they leave him behind four days before Christmas. What will Stanley do? Find out. Right? There's the log line. Then, this, then the summary is a little bit more of a detail of the entire story that you're doing. And then you can let them know who's the target, who are you targeting. You know, it's a all age or it's a for, for Divine, it was a fantasy. And we are going after people who love horror, people who love fantasy stories, people that like, you know, angels and people that like more of a faith-based story. That's kind of what we did. And then we broke down the creative group and uh, some, some page art and then some cover art on one page. 
and that was what we did. Now for a pitch deck that's a little bit, a lot more in depth, it's basically doing that but expanding. So you're showing the type of story that you're doing and you give visual examples. You're sending in the actual script, issue number one, two, or three. If you have more, do more. Um, most comic book companies, they ask for like five or six pages to cover and then log line synopsis and then maybe script to the first issue. But if you have more done, it's better to send more so that you can have a better visual of the world you're trying to create and how it will fit their world of all the different titles that they're doing. Gotcha. And then they, they match up like, like, like for your religious faith-based angel story. They didn't want to do that because it was more or less, um, they were trying to build upon like any faith-based worlds, or maybe they had something that was kind of self-conflicting with something they already had previously. Yeah, I think, I think it was something that was already there. Like the thing with Stanley was they were just thinking about an all age line. They had just thought about that. So that's where it kind of came into play that James had remembered. I had this all age snowman book. Gotcha. And then when I sent it to him, if it was all about timing, that that's something they were looking to launch and that fit right into what they wanted to do. So yeah, it is, it is helpful to know people, but it's also timing too. Cause I've been friends with publishers who love what they're going to do. Like um, Divine was all set to be with, um, shoot, what's it called? Age, Ape, no. Um, Action Lab. And it was okay. uh, way back when. They were good to go. But for some reason, they're just scheduling. They couldn't fit it in on their schedule. So they wanted to go six, nine months. And then things shifted in what they were going to be doing, their focus. And then it just didn't fit at all. So, and I was good friends with most of the higher ups that were with that one. It just it didn't work. And that was like a done, done deal. I was just waiting for the contract and it just never happened. So gotcha. You know. And sometimes things things fall through like that. Yeah. Now, what's the communication process on this? I've I've heard various answers, but for you in terms of you know your experience and what you went through. Um, like you said, they wanted to revisit that pitch after six months when when the angel angel story didn't pan out. Yeah, well, you just you have to follow up with them. It's your you have to do your due diligence and and is hey, you know, just you know, we we're gonna talk six months ago. It's been six months. This is what I've kind of done. Here's some visuals. I'll leave it a little bit more. We got it funded. People seem to like it. I think it's viable. Take a look. You know what I mean? Don't hound. I mean, you don't want to like you know poke because that's what I used to do when I was younger. I used to poke. Hey, you said call next week, and I you know I didn't hear back from you. It's been I know I called yesterday, but does it, you know, don't do that. <laughs> just, but just, you know, friendly reminders. Hey, you know, you said to call back in two weeks. It was not a good time. No problem. Just, just following up as per your request and be very professional about how you're going to go about doing it. Cause you know, life happens, things happen, you know, right. you get trapped under rocks or, you know, crazy stuff or life. And they just, it's not that you specifically that they're trying to ignore or not getting back with you, just things happen. You know what I mean? So I, I get frustrated that sometimes, uh, especially working in retail, like I had a conversation with my boss last week about um, how, uh, you know, I, I, I emailed the store manager. Uh, I requested a bunch of things and I waited and waited and waited. And I was just kind of venting to him. And because uh, I have I have amazing ideas like I used to be this this high up on the totem pole at Walmart 
many, many years ago. So when I walked into Lowe's, I have this experience. And this is what I used to fund my creative habits in my podcast and stuff. Yeah. So I care about my job. Um, I don't just go there and show up for a paycheck. Um, so when I see something that could be improved, I make I make suggestions because if I go and do it, um, it violates a bunch of safety rules and regulations, a bunch of red tape. So in order to change that, I have to go through the proper channels. And to be professional, you got to go through those proper channels. There's no way around it. You can't just like change everything in the whole store because then somebody comes up behind it and be like, yeah, change it all back around. And I used to be a department manager, so I've had that happen to me one time uh, with a whole, like a whole, like a whole aisle through, you know, Walmart during Thanksgiving on end caps. Thought it would be a great idea, increase sales. I don't like it. Change it back. Oh, great, man, that sucks. Um, so um, he told me that that managers have short term, short term memories, and that I would have to remind him. I'm like, so you want me to remind you how to do your job when I came to communicate you the problem that you weren't seeing? And and I, <laughs> it's hard for me to pull myself out of that, out of that mindset, like as I'm expecting others to be accountable for the things that they say they're going to do. Um, and I, and I guess I guess I kind of need to learn patience because you know I don't always remember everything either. Um, so I I believe that's the by definition of what you're talking about is poking. So if I were to send something off to a publisher and they told me to call them back in six months and I called them back in six months, don't tell them, hey, so I'm talking to you in six months. You said call you and you haven't answered my phone calls yet. Yeah, that might not be the best, <laughs> the best thing to, to go with. But that's not that might want to be a little bit softer, you know, because you're it's all about they're doing something for you. You, know, right. you, you might have the best idea in the world, but you want to work with them. So that's true. That's where that's the professional true. stuff comes in. Yeah. <laughs> I would never do that, but you know, just to illustrate it for the audience, anybody out yeah. here like to would like to go through that. This is kind of like uh if you ever were you were you ever part of any like um debate team or like lawyer lawyer team, or did you ever get to see any of those mock trials that they do in like college or, or high school? No, the only thing I've watched uh, mock trial was on the TV shows uh, Suits. I saw that. Okay, yeah. The, so those are pretty cool in person. That's that's kind of what I was trying to recreate just then. <laughs> mock trial. <laughs> for how cool. to reach out to publishers? Because because you know people people who don't who don't participate in the industry and they just read the media highlights of um, you know sad non-communicable people who stay at home and and get paid you know really low wages to write about media um talk about the industry in a negative light and they spread you know it's basically misinformation like they don't talk to people like like you austin on on a weekly or daily or monthly basis like i've i've in, i've increased my my networking and i'd like to think a lot of the people that i have on my facebook now who are in the industry are, are more or less friends than they are just like people that you know hey you're going to bring great numbers to my show and i'm going to bring great numbers to your your comic book and i don't i don't look at it like that and people outside the industry who aren't trying to get in see it as as just that relationships based on needs and so they think of all these like different movie companies and publishers taking advantage of talent because they're publishers and movie companies and they're yeah. You know, in, in the mundane retail world and all the jobs that, that don't get put on the news, like you, you never see anybody get put on the news for, you know, a person in line who paid for eight meals at McDonald's and for the, the person inside who screwed up all eight orders. You, you don't see that on the news. No. But for people like that, they, they think that 
that they're replaceable because often, and I've been told this before, like you are a dime a dozen. And in the industry, that is kindly true, but it's also based on what you bring to the industry at, that, that makes it valuable. And that's what they're interested in. Yes. Like, they don't see I, that. They see it as a, a, as a relationship based on needs. Like I need you to do this and I need you. That's like never that way though. No, no, it's not. Yeah. Unfortunately, it, you know, it's, it's set up in a certain way where companies have a business model set on that premise. And yeah, they've been, um, successful just because there hasn't been competition whenever to show there's a different way. Right. Um, people by and large want to see negativity or other things neg negatively affect other people to bring them down to how they're feeling at the time or to help them. Well, I'm doing better than they are. And that's the validation that they need to make themselves feel better about what they're doing or how they're living. Unfortunately, um, it used to not be like that. I try not to be like that. Yeah. Um, I try to be, I try to champion pretty much everyone. I try to cheer, you know, people like, you know, film people. I've got a lot of friends where a lot of us go out for the same roles. And if one of them books it to me, that's a win for all of us. Cause we're all in this together. Right. Some people find me as someone that they need to beat or or not like because i'm taking things and i try to explain to them look any job or anything you're trying to do if it's yours it's yours and you're you're gonna have to do an awful lot to not have it be yours right you know and if it's not it doesn't matter what you can what you can do most of the time if not all the time it's not going to happen it's not yours period that's just that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Right. And any efforts outside of that, you're just you're just fighting yourself, not fighting everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's OK to get frustrated. It's OK to get upset. It's OK to, to feel down right. and discouraged. You know what I mean? There's things that media set up to make you feel like that, because when you do get the validation that you want, you feel so much better. It's a it's a repetitive cycle that people. That's why people are always posting things and needing the likes and needing this and needing this and needing this because it's the dopamine. It's the thing that they, they need. Right. Um, <laughs> We're chartering into Rick and Morty territory here. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, but the, the last job I, I was in graphics, right. um, they were a Christian company. And I'm, I'm doing air quotes. They were some of the most dysfunctional and broken people that I know. Um, but they predicated everything that they did and the manipulation emotionally and everything around that they have more faith. Their faith is stronger than yours. And you must be doing something wrong because you're not doing the same things that they're doing to have the success in God's glory and God's, you know, blessing right. on you. And it effed me up, dude. Like it totally effed me up. And um, I finally got called in for something and you're lying. I'm not lying. And I'm like, you know what? Just fire me, whatever. I don't care. And I had to go. I just, and then I just saw a photo of me last month of from four months ago. And then like two months before I got fired and I look like night and day, I look horrible in the before picture, just horrible. 
but people are like that and 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 it's all about them 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 and it's all about me 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 and that's how things are nowadays yeah. i don't i i can't i can't do that i don't live like that so i get stepped on a lot you know what i mean i get i get walked over a lot and i get my feelings hurt and it's just it just is what it is i i don't have too many friendships i can i've got my buddy jay lathrop um who has contacted me about my daughter hope through this whole surgery and another person emily who's touch base so I, I on one hand i friends 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 right these are just acquaintances on here people that i thought were friends aren't really friends unless i'm doing something for them right so that's a horrible tangent i'm so sorry just oh no that's fine man like i just, i i love that 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 uh that that unique just natural feeling of two people talking man that's that's kind of the theme of the podcast and it's true because i mean in the industry there are people who see relationships as you do for me as i do for you and then once you don't do anymore that that's it that person is no longer a part of your life that happens and it's supposed to happen by the design of life there are supposed to you know have people come into your life who make you feel things, think things and do things that, that help you grow and stuff. But yeah. uh, nine times out of 10 of uh, the larger portion or, or in your case and a lot of people's case, including mine, the smaller portion of people who affect your life in a positive way, you can count on, on at least one hand. Yeah. Right. And they, they stay lifelong friends. Um, and, th and that's based on a number of reasons that I don't really care to get into. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that'd be a whole different podcast yeah <laughs> but in the entertainment industry um i think i think it's uh it, it should be warranted that if you're doing it for yourself you're setting yourself up for failure because even comics is a collaborative field and so is film and yeah. if you plan on doing either you have to get along with people sorry if you're an introvert uh, you'll learn you'll have to learn how to be an extrovert at least long enough to bear the outside world before going back to your your cave um and if you're going to be a comic so you have to collaborate the vision which is what people turn the page for so i agree it can't always be about us you know like it is about us but at the same time it's it's about it's about the us that adds value to the rest of us you know yep. in a larger portion it's mm -hmm. more of a beautiful sol soliloquy than it is you know a personal sonnet I'm going to get artistic about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in, in doing film, man, um, segueing into some of the more brighter spots in your life where you look, obviously look better in pictures these days, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are uh, what are some of the, the extras that you've been in? Can you not talk about it yet? Can you talk about it? So it's it's I've been doing film for six years. And I'm luckily, luckily I have moved from doing just extra work to getting, to getting, you know, lines and roles. Um, since April of last year, I have been lucky enough to be in two national commercials. One is for eHealth, which was last fall. One was for Blackstone Griddle for National Griddle Week. And I literally just found out yesterday that they're playing part of my commercial on Discovery Channel on the Food Network. Oh, awesome. Um, I've got feature films I was in called Dark My Light with um, Albert Jones and Tom Lipinski and uh, Jasmine Guy, um, Dean Kane. Uh, there's a horror feature I'm in called um, The Haunting of Julia Rhodes. And I 
have a callback on Monday for my biggest role for this kid's feature film called Radar. So that sounds kind of superhero-y. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I get to play one of the uh, the bad guys, which would be really cool. And, oh, nice. But now I'm lucky because I've got I have an agent right in Atlanta. I've got an agent in Mississippi. I've got an agent in Florida. I've got a manager in LA. So I'm getting auditions for for TV, good TV roles, guest star roles, and all that too. So my profile is going up a little bit. I've got about 70 credits on my IMDb page now. Wow. So, that's yeah. awesome. Just six years. That's incredible. Thank you. That's incredible. Uh, Dean Kane, that's a big one, man. Didn't he play Superman back in the, the early, yeah. what, the early 90s or the late 80s? Like right after, uh, was it Christopher Reed? Yeah, he was like Over. first and after Chris in the, the TV show Lois and Clark. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. um, so sad. Um, has, I, don't, I haven't watched the new Lois and Clark because I don't have the heart to because Dean Kane was kind of like my, my TV Superman. Yeah. I even had problems watching Smallville. But uh, but I, I I was curious to see, and I'll probably go check it out later. If Dean King ever made like a like a cameo in the new Lois and Clark, but uh, I heard they canceled that show after like the second season or something. Well, Lois and Clark, that's, or the, yeah, I think they did. Yeah, hopefully HBO Max picks it up because they're talking about selling CW out there, which yeah, that would be cool. Man, that's that's a big sell. It's got a large DC TV universe. Yeah, yeah, that would be big. What uh? What would be your 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 dream role, man? Like I know you get to play the bad guy in this in this upcoming feature, and you've done some horror stuff, and background and commercials, but like, what would be what would be your ideal role in a movie that, that you would you would absolutely most positively not say no to? Uh, in a film, in a um, film. You know, I would love to have one that is essential to the story itself it didn't matter how big it was but it was my character was key to the story of the whole film i think that would be pretty cool i love period films you know from could be the 1800s on up so if i could do that that would be really neat that'd be fun too so like the like the risque ones like rain or no not so much i mean you know that's that's whatever but um or like the kind of more of the art art ritzy type like uh queen elizabeth like so for tv like the peak peaky blinders is my absolute favorite TV show. i love peaky blinders no. if i could be in something like that or something similar to that gotcha i would just be in heaven that would just be <laughs> amazing you know what i mean like um, uh, like good fellas <laughs> yeah anything kind of like that you know what i mean just a good ensemble cast. I would love to be because I'm I'm a character actor. I'm not a leading guy. Right. I, I fully embrace that, and I'm okay with that, and I enjoy doing character acting. So having a really good role, like Kevin Spacey in the movie Seven, right? Gotcha. He was instrumental to the film, but he wasn't in it a lot. But he was the linchpin to the whole film. That's what I want. And that's. Is that like a is that like a goal you're working to? Like I know you said you're enjoying the process, but yeah. is this like I mean, that, yes, yeah, that would be that would be very very cool. Um, the 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 goal here is to be a, a full time working actor. Okay, so I had a taste of that last fall when I was in four films and a couple of TV shows. Um, 
hopefully it'll start again this year and I can keep, I can build on that and just start working more and more and do it somewhat consistently so I can call myself a working actor. I am, so in film, you have the union, which is SAG, right? Actors Guild. Um, I am eligible to become SAG to, to get into the, the union, but we live in the South. It's a right to work state. There's no real benefit yet for me to do so. But if a, a big project comes along and I have to, I can, which is great. Okay. These, are you based out of the South? Are you, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, man. It's so, it's so weird for me. And I know I'm incorrect, but like when I think of Florida, it's like on the crevice, or like <laughs> on the crevice of the East coast. So like, I don't know why. But when I think of like the South, I always think Louisiana, parts of Texas, Mississippi, where I'm from, and then like Georgia, and then maybe that part like right at the beginning of, or right at the beginning, like where Pensacola, Florida is. I'm like, to get past that, it's like, that's the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, part of, uh, what part of Mississippi are you in? I'm located in uh, Biloxi. So my, I did so again. Damn, I got to stop that. <laughs> my wife's family mom is from past christian christensen past no. pastor shan yeah that that's how you say it. well that's how i heard people say it i've heard a lots of different lots of different ones so don't yeah. worry that's where they're from that's where her her mom grew up and that's where her aunts and her cousins and everything live. we visit there all the time oh nice man you have to you have to hit me up sometime because my my kids live uh Live right off of Vidalia and pass and off of uh, Manj Avenue. Okay, nice. They live up that way off 90. Um, well, when I was a kid, my mom and my mom and I and uh, my stepdad, when we had my sister, were living in Pass Christian in a, in a nice little house. So where my, my three legged cat got ate by a gator at the, the rip behind the house. Wow. <laughs> Surprise, though. Oh man, it's he was he was cool. His name was Oliver. He was a good. Yeah. Very curious. Didn't pan out for him in the end, but <laughs> <laughs> you know that's why cats don't go near water, I guess. <laughs> so, but man, that's that's super awesome. And and you got an agent in Mississippi. That's that's the first I've ever heard of that. I didn't know even though they had agents here in Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, KTA talent. They they do Louisiana, Mississippi. They do Georgia and all that too, but. Having someone directly in Georgia gives you a little bit more of a leg up, so that's good. Gotcha, man. Is uh, is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience, or, or about Stanley, or about your mm. or you want to say hi well, to brother-in-law, or yeah, well, <laughs> Stanley for the Kickstarter. Um, the cool thing is, if you haven't bought anything, uh, you can get volume. One, you can get issue one, the, you know, the scout books. You're able to get those as well as issue number two. So you can get both books. Um, you don't have to go and trying to find issue number one. You can get both like that too. Um, you know, we got the catch rewards here for just $10 for the collectors. You've got, you've got sketch covers, we've got metallic covers, we've got all sorts of different things. Um, but this book is made specifically for the whole family to read together. It's, you know, it's an all age book. So it's for your mom and for the daughter. It's for the dad and the son and so on and so on. And I have people that put it aside and it's becoming their new holiday tradition around Christmas time. Like they're going to come bring it out 
and read it every single year. That's my goal is to have something like that. And um, the anime, I love the art style. I think it fits really good. For the, those that love anime, this is something new that I think you absolutely will just fall in love with. So. And it's a style that's, that's really popular. So, so popular that I went to um, Books a Million the other day and they've knocked down the comic section by like 12 feet. Yep. Make room for anime. And I was just, I was kind of disheartened. Not that I'm I'm against anime, but because they took away from my comic book section <laughs> to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, get that. I was like, "Wow, there's only like two rolls of graphic novels from Marvel, really?" <laughs> yeah. Well, so thanks to Vegan, the cooking news session has been you know expanded upon because <laughs> it's yeah. so popular, and yeah. I, I guess vegan cookbooks are outselling comic books, which is I don't I don't know if those wrong numbers are accurate, but made me mad because they used to carry a lot of pack issues that I was looking to you know pick up on, but. It's okay. I just moved my local wallet to my local comic book store, Three Alarms Comic, here in Biloxi, Mississippi, on Lemoyne Boulevard Avenue. There you go. There you go. A shameless plug. Um, he, he does a lot with uh, with Ming and, and Mike uh, from the Viewskew and the Smodcast uh, clan that that works closely with Kevin Smith, who I hopefully plan to see at MegaCon in a few months. Uh, yeah. I got tickets to his show, man. I'm wearing a Jeff Kiss shirt right now. <laughs> You're gonna be um, going to MegaCon. Yeah, I'm gonna be going to MegaCon. Um, uh, I picked up uh, editor credit with uh, with SHP on the Killing Machine. Uh, I don't know if you've seen um, things through that with Ink, so uh, I'm gonna go represent Ink Studios and and help Sean sell some books and hopefully make some good podcast networking friends and meet some cool creators. Uh, got to meet Tony Isabella and Peter David last time I went to Pensacon. That was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, man, MegaCon, here we come. May, it's gonna be awesome. I'll be seeing you there. Are you gonna be there? Yeah, nice. well, yeah, man. It's 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 gonna be awesome. Uh, the guy that we interviewed last time on Comic Crattery, uh, um, I believe his name was Brian uh, with the TARDIS. He's he's supposed to be there. So man, I'm out to take pictures. Um, you gonna be on the the art gallery floor or? Uh, I'll be in the pro artist section. Yeah, pro artist sections. Okay, man. I'm out to come check you out when I get on break. Um, I gotta make that happen. Get some pictures in, maybe even some comments or videos if they'll let me. I was gonna, I was gonna apply for the press pass, but if you really look at it, it doesn't replace the price of admission for a ticket, and yeah. it doesn't really allow you to do anything. I because you still have to to reach out to all the creators and set up a meet before time. Yeah, the press pass just gives you the the permission. Um, so I think um, as long as you email the commissioner of the MegaCon event and just let them know that you might have your phone out or something, which I don't think it'd be a big deal. It's like uber professional, but for IP and stuff. So I think I'm just going to do that instead. My wife already bought her ticket, but, uh, but yeah, man, I can't wait to see you then at MegaCon in May. That's going to be good times. Wow. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Austin for coming on to the show and thank you for, for being so transparent. And in, uh, in your story and your background, your history and your past. And, and I, I thank you for adding to the value uh, to my listening audience, who has now reached nine different countries. Thank you, Argentina, for joining the show. But uh, thank you so much, man. And I, and I hope we can do this again um, sometime when uh, you're more than welcome to come back anytime you need to uh, talk about comics or about film or um, receive praise and validation for your newest, coolest role and whatever mm -hmm. it is that you're, <laughs> you're on screen for. Uh, you've got a friend in me, man, and in the comics and Pop-Tarts uh, Pop Nation. I really haven't decided what to call that yet, but um, 
Yeah, man. Uh, anybody out there listening um, uh, or at home or you listen to the recording, uh, go to ink.pub slash forward Stanley, the snowman. Uh, I think I believe there's about 10 days left on the on the um, on the uh, on the campaign. Let's see. Nope. 11 days left on the campaign. It is currently the 26th. So got to get going. Got to get going. Got 11 days to get some goodie. Goody, 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 goody stuff from Scout Comics and Stanley the Snowman. Brought to you by Austin Janowski. Thank you so, man, uh, so much for coming out to the show and talking to me today. My name is my name is Inevitable Mike. This is the Comics and Pop Tarts Podcast Channel. Stay fresh. <laughs>